jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three. Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown. If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered. Green pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive, and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Bissell. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Driver's Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Friday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. We do have one confirmed guest lined up for you today, Chris Carlson. From Syracuse.com and the Post Standard will join us at 12.30. We'll talk some SU hoops and SU football uh, with Chris. Of course, the big news this week, the Dino Babers long-term contract extension and the basketball team back at it tomorrow after a week off for finals. The Orange playing host to Old Dominion at noon inside the Carrier Dome. Uh, We potentially have a second guest in our number two, a mystery guest, um, but uh, not confirmed yet, so we're we're not going to give it away. But uh, stay tuned because you you uh, you may want to listen to our number two. Uh, crossing uh, our fingers yes. that uh, that we're able to make that happen. Uh, before we get into the NFL game from last night, did I hear you correctly that the NFL is crossing its fingers and hoping for Cardi B? Yeah, pinning their hopes on Cardi B. Why are you surprised? Why are you so surprised by this? Because that like. When I think Super Bowl halftime show, you think more I think mass appeal. Gaga, I think Justin Timberlake, I I think big names. Not that, I, and I understand Cardi B's a big name. Probably wouldn't be my first choice. That's you, all I'm saying. You're looking more mass appeal. I think so. But isn't that what Maroon Five is like? And like kind of sort, kind of sort of Maroon Five is like the headliner, the the big kind of get, and okay. then you, and then you surround them with a couple other people. Okay, so Cardi B's like the opening act. Kind of like it's kind of sort of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best example. Like Janet Jackson like, and Justin Timberlake, they're both like huge names. Like when Lady like Gaga is a huge name. Like when Coldplay went and did the halftime show, except their their secondary acts were Beyonce, and then Beyonce really was just doing the halftime show again. Beyonce, big name, right? I Cardi B to me is not on that same level. Am I missing something? I mean, I no, and I, no. Listen, I mean, I know the kids look, love she's, Cardi she's B. Really. I mean, she's she's really big, but I don't know that she's Beyonce. Like nobody's no, Beyonce. she's not right. There's nobody's you know, Beyonce. There's like a dozen that fall under that category, right? I don't think Cardi B's in no, that but category. I think, but I think Cardi B kind of fits into where they like. It makes a lot of sense. It, Does she's, it? Yes, I think so. I mean, not that not that Maroon Five and Cardi B performing together ever makes sense, but it, it would make a lot of sense that she would be one of the other. People like you're doing a halftime show and you're trying to reach and and make happy the most people that you possibly can. So you want to find like a really big cross section of the country. And let's be honest, how different does it? How much more different does it get yeah, than Maroon Five fair. and Cardi B? I just it so was, like you're trying to find different groups here. I I couldn't help but chuckle the way that you phrased it. it was like you know the NFL is like pinning its hopes on Cardi <laughs> B. 
Uh, okay. Well, look, I mean, I, I had gotten into this rabbit hole, and I, I don't remember. Did we do it around the Super Bowl last year? Did we do it when Maroon 5 was announced over the summer? I don't remember. But we did, like, what were the best Super Bowl halftime shows yes, of recent? Correct. Of, of, you know, the last 15, 20-ish years. And I got down this rabbit hole. There were some really weird ones. There were some really weird ones before the whole Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson thing. I, and so, like, they're going back to it, and this would make perfect sense. It Sounds like, like you endorse it. Sounds like I you mean, you endorse the uh, the I choice. I mean, look, whatever they want to do. I I'm just gonna sit there and and half listen. I, like that's that's bathroom break time for me. Be interesting to see if the Chiefs are involved in that game. I don't know if Cardi B is gonna be there. And after last night, I think there are some questions whether or not the Chiefs are gonna be there. We thought all along that they were the best team in the AFC. I don't know. Is that the case anymore? I mean, they lose at home to the Chargers. You know, the Patriots are, are coming on strong. The Patriots are just a game back in terms of, well, a game and a half back until this weekend. But they, they finish up with the the Bills, the Jets, and the Steelers. So there's a really good chance that the Patriots are going to run the table and be at 12-4. and four. Part of me wants to see, by the way, and, and I know this is a kind of a tangent, part of me wants to see the AFC Championship game in that stadium the, the Chargers are playing in. It's like 27,000 seats. Weather would be nice. It would be beautiful. It would also be 20,000 other team fans. And That's then, true. And then a couple of Charger fans. So how about this game last night? Uh, the Chiefs just continue to play really good football games. I mean, the the game that they had with the Patriots early this year, the game they had with the Rams, this one last night goes right down to the wire. Uh, they blow a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. Chargers come back. Uh, they score with four seconds left to make it 28-27. They decide to go for two. They get the two-point conversion, and the Chargers uh, steal one in KC, 29-28. Los Angeles is going for two. They're going for the win with four seconds left. A two-point try to take the lead in Kansas City. 28-27 Chiefs. Chargers working out of the gun. Rivers. He's got the snap. He looks. He floats it. End zone. Wide open. Mike Williams has got it. Phillip Rivers puts it exactly where it needed to be. I think I could have put it where it needed to be on that one. I might have, yeah. I because when Iron Eagle said wide open, he was wide open. There was nobody on that side of the hash marks. Blown coverage. Yes. Two guys went with one, and Mike Williams was left all alone. So I guess let's start right there. The decision by Anthony Lynn to go for two. I know you're going to say you like it because they well, converted he it, made but, it. But, but going, but leading into it, did you think that was the right call? Uh, yes, I did. I, I did think it was the right call last night, and it's one of those things that analytics has has really pushed forward and said, "Hey, go, just go for two and go for the win." Uh, but in this case specifically, I really thought it made a lot of sense. You were on the road in, in what is always a hostile environment, right? Ar- Arrowhead Stadium is one of the the toughest places to go in and play. And you had, you had calmed them down a little bit. You had quieted the crowd. So just take advantage of that momentum. Also, I don't want to let the Chiefs back on the field. I, I don't want to let that offense back on the field. I don't want to let Patrick Mahomes uh, and Tyreek Hill and Damian Williams with the night that he had. I, I don't want to let those guys back on the field with another chance to go put up points. So, yes, I thought it made a lot of sense to go for it. Obviously, you like it more because of the, the result. 
And, you know, earlier in the year when when the Titans did it to the Chargers and then didn't get the two-point conversion, you were probably thinking, why did Mike Vrabel go for two? That makes no sense. But last night I thought it made a lot of sense given where they were playing, given the team that was on the other side. And I, I don't I don't want to give Patrick Mahomes a chance. And the way that their offense was rolling, uh, the Chargers' offense was rolling, they had a pretty good shot of converting that. So I, I, I'm, I understood going for it. I think you, you have to look at each situation in a case-by-case basis. And I think that last night was a a perfect time to go for two in that situation. Everything you just laid out. I'll say this about the Chiefs. Um, That offense, as we've seen, is is virtually unstoppable. And and why did the Chargers stop them on that that last possession? Because the Chiefs got conservative. So there's the the kickoff after San Diego makes it 28-21. Chargers have all their timeouts. There's a penalty on the kickoff, so now you're backed up to around the 10-yard line. They run the ball on first down. They lose three yards. Chargers use a timeout. They throw a short pass, very conservative play call on second down. Tyreek Hill picks up five yards, another timeout. So now you're left with whatever it was, third and eight. Then there's a false start penalty, so you move yourself back five yards, and now you've got third and long. Mahomes gets sacked, and now... San Diego gets the ball back in great field position, even though the punt was muffed. They get the ball back in great field position with over two and a half minutes left and a timeout. Kansas City got super conservative. If that game goes into overtime, guess what? Kansas City's not going to be conservative. Everything you said, it's it's at home. You've got Patrick Mahomes. You had a chance on one play to win. Kansas City was was reeling a little bit. I think this was this was the perfect opportunity to go for two. So I'm not always in favor of that. I think sometimes coaches can be too aggressive. But I thought this last made night, all the I, sense in I the world. thought it made all the sense in the world as well. And now all of a sudden, San Diego and Kansas City tied for first in that division. Now KC still owns the tiebreaker, so they control their own destiny. If the Chiefs win out, they're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But that's a big if. They they head to Seattle next week. They're at Seattle, home for the Raiders. They're going to beat the Raiders. But that game in Seattle, that's a 50-50 proposition. You lose that one, now all of a sudden... You're you know, on the, you you you're not only lose home field you you lose your first round bye as well yeah uh, how about this though uh, both of these teams really uh, who who wants to win their division and see those teams like like don't you don't you feel bad for like the Texans like the poor Texans they're gonna go win their division they've won all these games in a row and then they're gonna get the Chiefs in round one. I mean, I don't think you want to see the the Chiefs, the Chargers, or the Patriots. Really, I well, mean, no, I no, 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 no. But but obviously, the Patriots aren't going to fall into a wild card. Right. So I'm saying, like, you're this you're this poor team that went and won. I mean, it could be the Patriots, right? Like, it could very well be the Patriots who end up, or, or the Steelers who end up uh, winning their division and, and then seeing one of these teams in the first round. You're you're the Steelers. You're hosting a playoff game at Heinz Field. You've won the division, and you get Philip Rivers and the Chargers. Yeah, you want coming no part into of your that. building. I I don't want that. You want no part of that. The Chargers are, I mean, they've, they've been lights out. They've won 10 of their last 11. And you look at, at the three teams they lost to this year, Seth. They lost to the Chiefs, very first game of the year. They lost to the Rams, and they lost by a point to the Broncos. That's it. I mean, the Chargers, you you look at their resume, their resume is as impressive as anyone else right now. And, and you know, they've been flying under the radar, and, oh, the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, and, you know, you can never count out the Patriots. The Chargers are right there. A month ago, I loved the Steelers, and now the Steelers have fallen off, and and you've got the the Chargers, they just keep on winning. And look at what the Chargers have done the last two weeks. They've got into Heinz Field, and they were down 14 points in... in, they were down 14 points, and, and they came back and they won. And yeah, it took it took three tries to make the field goal, whatever. But 
Pittsburgh kept jumping off sides, and they took advantage of it, and they made the field goal. Uh, and then last night, they're down 14 points multiple times, and they come back and they score 15 in the fourth quarter, uh, 15 in the last four minutes of the game, and they win. I mean, it's it's unbelievable what, they, what they've managed to do, and they did it last night without their best wide receiver. I mean, Pat uh, uh, Philip Rivers is throwing the ball around and, and hitting targets, uh, and he doesn't have Keenan Allen for the majority of that game after he left with an injury in the first half. Do you see these stats regarding the comeback last night? Uh, that Andy Reid was thirty nine and zero before last night with a fourteen plus point lead in the fourth quarter. So first time that Andy Reid has has lost in that situation. The Chargers this year are now two and one when trailing by at least fourteen points. In the fourth quarter, they also beat the Steelers. Came from behind in that game. The rest of the NFL is three and seventy-eight in games where the you know the losing team or the, the team you know trails by fourteen or more right. points in the in the fourth quarter. Have, Only three out of eighty-one times it's happened. The Chargers are two and one. Have you seen? So the Chiefs scored last night twenty-eight points in a loss. Uh, have you seen their average? Scoring. I, I saw. I happen to see <laughs> you actually aver- tweeted their out their average scoring in their three losses this year is forty-one points. They have averaged 41 points in their three losses. Defense needs to be better. I don't <laughs> know what else to tell you. That is mind-blowing. All right, so so with that in mind, um, is Kansas City the best team in the AFC? If if your defense is that poor... Right. I don't... Th- no, I think I think they are still the best team in the AFC. They Their defense was significantly better in the first half last night. That's when Eric Berry was playing. Right. Eric Berry did not Makes play the difference. second half. Makes uh, a big difference. Did not play the majority of the second half. Andy Reid said afterwards that they had him on a pitch count. I probably would have used those pitches a little more wisely than he did. But they, well, and look, that makes sense. He doesn't know how to use timeouts either. So it, it makes perfect sense that Andy Reid botched that. But when, when Eric Berry is back and playing all the time, that defense is going to be better. And I, I think that that defense with Eric Berry uh, in the back end of it will be just good enough to get by. So I think the Chiefs are still the best team in the AFC. I think they are as well. And you look at what Kansas City is missing right now, even on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, as good as they are offensively, Sammy Watkins was once again out with injury. Spencer Ware was out with injury. Tyreek Hill played, but he's been banged up. He's not even close to being 100% (laughs) right now. the ball that went off his face? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen to him. So, I mean, they're, they're not even close to 100% on that side of the ball, and they're scoring 28 points and, and making it look easy. Um, I, I do have to point out to our listeners that you took Steve Andrus' advice. <laughs> I did. While Steve was on the phone, I pulled up my fantasy team. Yes. So and there I, is some benefit to having him on. <laughs> you uh, grabbed Damian Williams in our league, and then yes. he sure enough went off last night. Yeah, he got me 25 points. Here's the thing. If you and I face each other in the finals, you can't you can't play Oh, him. no, that's you can't garbage. Play no, you that's can't garbage. play him. No, I'm playing him. can't play him. That's only fair. He got me 24 points last night. I needed it because Tyreek Hill only got me four. Good job by you. Everybody cares uh, about my fantasy team. Taking Steve Andrus up uh, on his <laughs> advice. I do question, though, the fact that you did. You could have at least waited till the commercial. Like, you didn't have to no, do it like, I while we were... I did it while he was on the phone. See, that's why you have to sit him. That's. Nope. As the kids would say, that's codes. <laughs> that's... I, look, I, I, don't, I don't even. I don't get that one. I'm. See, this is weird because I, I'm younger than you. Yeah. But I, I don't understand that one because you've got the kids who are younger than I me. I do. It, regard it, it, they they reference cheat codes like you that's oh. cheating, no cheat codes. No, so they, they say that's codes. I was, I was quicker to the trigger. Yeah. Well, yeah. and look, I knew you I didn't was have doing a computer in here. I, I was too. I was listening to Steve. <laughs> I was listening closely. He said Damian Williams is good. I said Damian Williams is good. Let me pick him up. All right. I know where your priorities <laughs> lie. 
315-437-7644. We do need to take our first time out. We've got Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com set to join us in about 15 minutes. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. Brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amour CPAs. What do you have for us today, Seth? Uh, let's start off with this. Joe Kim Noah says that uh, here, here's his words. He goes, he said he was too lit in New York to make it work for the Knicks. He said, quote, I could look back on it and say I thought I was ready for New York City. I wasn't, and that's something I've got to live with. Uh, he was asked about the pressure of New York. He said it wasn't pressure. Uh, quote, I remember after the first game, I probably had like 50 people in my house. I'm too lit. I'm too lit to play in New York City. I'm too lit to play in New York City. Memphis is perfect for me. He goes on to say that basically he had this same problem in Chicago, and he would go out and kind of, right, look, I'm, I'm going to translate here, kind of party too much. Uh Except that they were younger, so he could bounce back a little bit faster. Uh, it, and and then in New York, he he got a little older. He couldn't bounce back quite as fast. Maybe it was going even a little bit faster than it was in Chicago. Uh, but now he's in Memphis. He's an old man, and he says things are going to go great. He's from New York as well, right? So I mean, something I, like that. I yeah. think I, I think that that you know, talk about the pressure of playing in New York. I think being in your hometown and being around family and friends constantly. Um, you know, sometimes you can, and he didn't say this, but sometimes you can fall in with the wrong crowd and it, it takes you away from the task at hand and your priorities shift. Your priorities shifts from, you know, basketball and your job to, you know, this is cool. You know, all my guys are here and, you know, we're going to go out and, and you just get in that routine and that habit and it's hard to, to break that vicious cycle. Um, you know, we, we've seen countless examples of this, of, you know, professional athletes over the years. Um, hopefully this is the right spot for him and he can kind of get things, you know, back on track because, you know, he could cost himself a lot of money here moving forward if he doesn't if he doesn't figure this out. He's, I think he's making the league minimum now, which Well, he's still getting paid on his contract with the Knicks. Right. No, I know, but moving forward though, I, I you know, he he's obviously he obviously has something to prove now, I guess is yes. my point. Um, yeah, so hopefully for his own sake he calms down and he and he mellows out a little bit so that he can at least like look good. For, for anybody else. Right, for the next contract. Exactly. So we'll see how it works out for, for Joe Kim Noah. But, yeah, I think sometimes, you know, being being home can – it's it's nice and it's comfortable, but sometimes nice and comfortable, you know, isn't isn't great. It's not great for every athlete. And it sounds right. like for Joe Kim Noah, it was, uh, it was a problem. I mean, how often have we heard that? You know, we've heard that a lot in college in, – in recruiting, right? Kids don't want to stay home because there are pressures and, and – you know, when, when everybody was freaking out, oh, Kevin Durant, he's from he's from D.C., he's going to go to the Wizards, he's from D.C., he's going to go to the Wizards, and, and he was just kind of like, no, no, like, I don't want to. I don't want to play at home. I don't I don't want to play in front of my family think, and my friends every night. You know, I think, you know, to some degree, you know, Scoop Jardine and Dion Waiters would tell you that, that they, they wanted to get out of Philly, that they wanted right. to go somewhere else, and, you know, Syracuse was the perfect landing spot for them, and it became a, a second home, and it, it's it's not always great for guys to, to stay home and, you know, be around the, you know, the people they grew up with. Um, and it sounds like in, in Joe Kim Noah's case that, that maybe it dragged him down a little bit. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, let's move on to our other uh, other topic here in today's business. Uh, a host at 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia tweeted yesterday, quote, source, Carson Wentz has a fracture in his back but was not made aware of the results of the scan. Some players are aware of the situation, and what I'm told this has caused a huge issue internally. 
Uh, former Eagle Emmanuel Acho uh, followed this up, uh, tweeting out a video where he called the former Eagles medical staff suspect and said he knew a teammate uh, that tore his ACL, but they told him he had a tight hip, fl- uh, a right hip flexor. Uh, Acho per- uh, personally fractured his thumb, but was told that the pop he heard was probably just scar tissue. Uh, the the former the they are the former Eagles training staff because they got fired right after the Super Bowl. Um, but th- this could be a really big problem if 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 the Eagles are actually hiding injuries, which is what the the tweet from the radio host and uh, Emmanuel Acho are are claiming. I mean that's huge. That, that's like a that's like a cover up scandal of of epic perfor- proportions, it's, aren't they? It's dangerous it? stuff. Um, it's that, that's also a lawsuit waiting to happen, right? Um, yes. That is um, something that obviously needs to come to light if that's if that's going down. And you said that those guys are no longer there, um, but that's that's a lawsuit waiting to happen, and that's dangerous stuff. I mean, these guys put their bodies on the line every week, and I understand that the trainers work for the team, not for the players, and so it's smart to get you know your own doctors to look at you or get a second and third opinion. And it sounds like Carson Wentz, you know, went ahead and got a, a second opinion on his back, um, but that is obviously crossing the line. That's that's you know bordering on illegal. Yes, it is. That that's what I was kind of getting at. Like that, not not telling somebody the actual extent of their injuries is 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 borderline illegal. I mean, it's that's terrible. You you cannot do that. Um, it's amazing to me that that a team would would put people in that position. If this is all true, uh, it's amazing that a team would think to put somebody in that position. Um, you know, only first off, forget any of the investment in in players. Forget any of the you know uh, the 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 thought about the teams. How about just like caring about them as human beings and and saying like, hey Carson Wentz, you might have a fractured vertebrae. You probably shouldn't play this weekend. Like at some point, I think you just have to care about people as a decent human being and say like, hey, for your best health and, and for your for your your welfare like let's keep you out because this is what you're dealing with and you just said you know if true dot 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 even if it's not true this is a problem because perception is reality and in that locker room if there is a perception that this is going on and the players don't trust the medical staff and the medical staff doesn't trust the players that is inherently a problem whether again whether it's true or not and uh, you know I pray to God it's not true and they're not hiding these injuries, especially serious injuries from these guys. But if if it's not true, that's still something that they need to work out. If the players do not trust the the people that they're getting medical advice from, that's a big problem. And that can, yes. you know, talk about fracturing a locker room and, you know, a coach losing the, you know, the players on his team. That's that's certainly one way to do it. Yeah, that's a major issue, uh, as you said. That's a major issue. Uh, you know, I, I said it was our last one, but we got a, we got a minute here. So why don't I throw one more out there for you, Steve? Uh, James Harden put up a fifty point triple double last night uh, against the Lakers, and and Houston kind of needed all of it. They only won that game by fifteen points, uh, even with all of that uh, all that great performance, uh, that fantastic performance. He he shot fourteen of twenty six, uh, and he shot just a boatload of free throws bothering uh bothering the Lakers he was 18 of 19 from the free throw line in this 50 point performance 
This is a game that, I don't know if you saw any of it, but it's a game that, that got out of hand. A lot of technical fouls. Nene got kicked out. Uh, Luke Walton got a technical foul for, you know, jumping off the you know off of his seat on the bench. Uh, at one point, I don't know if you saw this, Seth, but the Lakers were playing defense with their hands behind their backs to prove a point because every time James Harden went to the <laughs> hole, he was getting a That's foul awesome. call. So then they started, you know, LeBron even did it a couple times where he started the possession with his hands behind his back, you know, to prove a point that, you know, we, we can't hand check. And, and they know that it's in, in a point of emphasis this year with the NBA referees, but certain guys get calls. We know that, and it got to the point. What were what were Harden's free throw numbers again? Eighteen of nineteen. Yeah. So they the got rest to, of the rest of the team only shot thirteen free throws. So it got to a point where every time Harden just put the ball on the floor, they were calling a foul, and the Lakers were fed up. So they started playing defense with their hand behind their hands behind their backs. And this is this is coming on the heels of um, of a, a game where. Uh, the Lakers and Rockets were like throwing punches at each other the last time they played. Like they they did not get along. They they were heated uh, the last time they played. So this seems like it'll be fun uh, as we move forward. Today's business brought to you by Grossman Santamore CPAs. Look ahead to 2019 with Grossman Santamore CPAs. Remain focused with today's business on helping clients prosper by providing comprehensive accounting, auditing, tax planning, and tax preparation services. Visit gsacpas.com. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. We've got to take another time out. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. All right, Stephen, Seth back with you on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. We're still crossing our fingers on that mystery guest. we got about a half hour left. There's about 25 minutes I, left. I will say hang around. I hope so. Yeah. Hang Fingers around. crossed. Uh, but phone lines are open the rest of the way if you, you'd like to check in. Um, you know, we were doing our picks at the top of this hour, and, you know, we were talking about the, the motivation factor. And, and actually, it came up when we were talking with Chris Carlson last hour from Syracuse.com. You brought up the, the motivation factor in the Camping World Bowl that it feels like a lot of national analysts aren't talking about this. The fact that Syracuse really, really, really wants to be there, and the fact that West Virginia, eh. Not so much. They, right. they had bigger fish to fry this year. It didn't work out at the end of the season. Uh, you know, they wanted to go to the playoff. Then they wanted to go New Year's Six. Then maybe Alamo Bowl. And they trickled all the way down to the Camping World Bowl. And it feels very much like, from a motivation standpoint, Syracuse has all the motivation. And again, West Virginia, not so much. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly my my read of it. That's that's kind of my view of this. And and I, I would think that if you could ask Dino Babers or, or Eric Dungy, and I guess we could break this, we're going to have Eric Dungy on the show next week, um, you know, they're, they're amped for this game, right? Like, they're, they're into it. They're, they're probably really excited. I mean, Dino uh, D- uh, Eric Dungy has not played in a bowl game. Uh, nobody on this team has played in a bowl game here for Syracuse University. So I, I would think that means a whole lot for them going into the game, and it doesn't seem like something, or I wouldn't imagine it's something, that they necessarily would want to throw away, right? You don't want to throw away your chance to be on another big stage, to make a name for yourself again, to push that program forward. I don't think that Syracuse wants to throw it away, not to say West Virginia is, but again, as you mentioned, you rattled off three places they would rather be. I mean, they'd rather be in the Sugar Bowl, they'd rather be in the playoff, they'd rather be uh, in the Alamo Bowl, and they ended up in the Camping World Bowl. Yeah, we we uh, have Julian Wiggum on quite a bit between the TV show and, and the radio, and you know he said from a player's perspective he used to hate 
bowl games. It's a long season. It's There's a lot of wear and tear on the body and on your time. And at the end of the year, you just kind of like want to be done with it. He said he wanted to go home, you know, see his family for Christmas. And, and, and he didn't love the bowl game experience. I do get the feeling, though, that this one is different. Because you've got Dino Babers, who just signed a contract extension, right? And there's there's some excitement there, and for the for the returning players, they're excited because now they they got a taste of it. They got nine and three, maybe ten and three this year. They got a taste of what it can be like, and they want to prove themselves and they want to get a head start on next year because they're excited about next year. And then you've got the seniors who, as you you put it, they've never been to a bowl game. You know the Dante Stricklands, Eric Dungies of the world. This is a chance to to go out in style to do something that has only been done, you know, six other times, a half a dozen other times in program history win 10 games in a year they have a chance to in their final game go out with a bowl victory and just put their stamp on this whole you know turning of the corner process and so it it does very much feel like whether you're talking about the the young guys or the veterans certainly the coaching staff wants to put on a good show it feels like this entire team is motivated so I get what Julian was saying that you know, after a mediocre year, you go six and six. You know, do you want to go to the Texas Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, and play some random opponent? That's not what this is. No, because they, the future looks bright, and for the guys who are graduating, this is their chance to you know one final shining moment, as uh, you know, as Luther Vandross would <laughs> yeah. would sing about in at the end of March. And and hopefully, I'm not singing that anymore. Yes. Exactly. As as you as you know. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it's it to that point, like it. This feels like a big deal for Syracuse, even those players, as you mentioned, who are leaving. Like, they haven't gotten this stage yet. They haven't gotten to a bowl game. They certainly haven't had a chance at 10 wins yet. And I think that that part of it can't be underestimated. You know, John Wildeck, every time he's been on, whether it was with Brent on Wednesday night, Brent yesterday, uh, at press conferences with with you and with Chris Carlson and, and every other interview he's done, he, it seems like he's made a point of saying, hey, we can go for 10 wins, and it would only be the seventh time in program history that we would get that. Like, that's a way to etch your name into this in, into the Syracuse history books. That's a, na- a way to make sure that this class is remembered. To be that class that got ten wins, like that feels like to me, it would be a pretty big deal, and like not not something that would be looked upon lightly. And also, you know, it, when you look at the the bowl season, there are winners and losers, right? And Syracuse is ranked twentieth right now in the polls, and theoretically, if they win this game and Let's not forget they're playing a team that's ahead of them in the polls. They're going to move up. They're going to move up in the top fifteen. Like that's reasonable. They're going to be, sure. you know, for every winner, there's a loser in the, in the bowl season. And generally, it's ranked teams against ranked teams. You win this game and you beat West Virginia, who's ranked ahead of you. You're, you're certainly probably, in the top twenty. Right. Well, yes. I mean, they're twentieth right now. You're probably moving up into the top fifteen or around fifteen. Again, depends on what else happens and who else you know right above you loses or and wins. And how you look. And and, yeah. That so I, I get that. But around fifteenth, doesn't that help you in turn going into next year? If of you're course it if does. you're fifteenth opposed to twenty fourth. You know, at the end of the year, because we know how these things work. A lot of times, you know, the the following polls, you know, the polls for the next year reflect what happened the last year. And you've got a lot of pieces back, even though Dungy's not coming back. You've got Tommy DeVito. And I think that, that winning this game, maybe more, more so this year than in other years, winning this game would jumpstart you for next year. It's not like if you win Absolutely. the Texas Bowl that it's going to make a great deal of difference the following year. <laughs> Clearly that helped. Right? No, I'm, I'm serious, though. Or, or <laughs> no, winning I know a, what you mean. Or winning a pinstripe bowl. Like, that's that's not necessarily going to jumpstart you for the following year. But going 10-3, and three, finishing around 15th in the country... And and having all this momentum, I think it it absolutely 
gives you momentum. And in fact, we are joined by our our mystery guest. Sit right down, sir. We have Syracuse head coach Dino Babers, Dino Babers in the room here with us. in studio. You know, you look you look good in person. I always see you on the TV, but you're looking good in person, I, too. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> well, congratulations are in order. Big week for you and for the program. Uh, we, we got John Wildhack's reaction yesterday. Just curious to get your reaction on the, the long-term extension, what this means for you and what this means for the Syracuse football program. I'm just really excited. I think, it's, uh, I think that we're working well together. I really enjoy what John Wildhack and... and uh, and Chancellor Siverud has been doing. I think we're on the right page. I think we're moving in the right direction. The community's been outstanding, and we're only going to get better as we all work together. So I think this is good times uh, to be Orange. You know, winning nine games this year, the possibility to go win ten games, how much did that sway you? How much did that that push you to want to get this extension done and, and want to be here? You know, it, it was very interesting. Our first year here, uh, recruiting was very uh, negative, you know, they say, hey, they're going to be picked last. You're never going to go to a bowl game. It snows. Why do you want to go to school there? Then the second year was pretty much the same. And then this year, they didn't talk about us not going to a bowl game. They didn't talk about us being picked last in the conference. They didn't talk about us finishing second in the conference either. Uh, but they were talking about, hey, you know, why do you want to go there? That, that coach is not even going to be there. So we needed to get that eliminated because we've got some outstanding student athletes that are really interested in Syracuse University, and and we deserve to have an opportunity to recruit some of those people. So we wanted to eliminate all the negatives, and so we can get the best class that we could possibly get, not only in 2019 but also in 2020. John Wildhack laid out the timeline yesterday. Said that he first approached you about a month ago about the extension, and then he started talking with your agent. Why was it so important to get this thing announced this week with the the early signing period opening up next Wednesday? Well, I think that ties into you know the, the signing date is next Wednesday. Those young men are be making decisions. Once they put their name on that paper, they can't take those decisions back. Uh, it could extend it further, but if you're really working for the benefit of the of the community and the university, and and, you're, and no one's being selfish about this act, it needed to happen uh, before the signing date. And I'm glad we got it done. You know, I know you you made reference to this the Sunday that the bowl selection was made, uh, and you obviously can't name specifics. But in recruiting, with a, the potential of a 10 win season. Um, what kind of doors has that opened this year as you filled out the back half of your 2019 class and started on 2020? Fantastic question. The way you stated it is exactly, exactly right. Obviously, we had the first half of our class in uh, 2019 was, was based off of our 4-8 and eight season. The back part of our, our class is going to be based off of our 9-3 and three season. So uh, the recruits are, are higher ranked. It doesn't mean they're necessarily better because we've been doing just fine with the star guys that we've been getting. But uh, they're a lot higher ranked, and I would assume that it's going to be even better next year if we start off with early season success. Dino, I, I do think that this town has has fallen in love with you and and this program. There's there was a faction of the fan base though that was I think worried. The more you won, they were worried that somebody was going to come in and, and and scoop you up and and take you away. It was almost like they were reluctant to buy in. Um, what is your message to those fans now that you've signed this extension and, and what your vision is for what Syracuse football you know, is right now but could be someday? You know, my big thing is that there was a lot of things to fix. And, I, and as long as the left hand is helping the right hand and the administration and the community and the, and the student body, if everybody's working together, we can, we can do great things here. The difficulties is when we're not all on the same page. And as long as we're going to stay on the same page, we're – 
we're two fourth quarter leads from being in the final four, uh, being 11 and one, one loss to Notre Dame and being in the final four. I mean, that's exactly where we would be if we'd have held the lead in two games where we were leading in the fourth quarter. So we showed that we could do it. Now to be able to do it consistently good and not occasionally great is something else. And it's going to take everybody if that's what we want to accomplish. Got to sneak one in about the bowl game coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I know we've talked about this a lot and, and seen a lot written about it, but there seems to be so much of these bowl games that that is motivation. And do you want to be there? And how much do you want to be there? Obviously, there's plenty of motivation for your team, but how do you make sure that they're buying in and, and still want to, you know, go out there and play a month after their last game? Well, you know, you talk to them, and I'll, I'll get a pulse of those guys. I would like to think that not only the 2018 seniors, but they, the season they've done with nine wins is amazing, and nobody will ever forget those 2018 seasons. I, I don't believe that. But, again, to be a double-digit win football team at a non-traditional power school is something that's very, very unique and very, very special. And if we could find a way to accomplish that task, it would cement them in, the, in their legacy forever. And I, and I think that the underbelly of the football team – really want to help this help this senior group get there. So I, I believe they'll be motivated. I, I, I think they'll be excited to be there, but we're going to have to wait and see. I tell you what, Coach, I've been working in this town for 20 years. Uh, it is great to see the community excited about football again in the city of Syracuse. So thank you for all that you do. Congratulations on the contract extension, on the fantastic season, and best of luck as you get ready for the bowl game. Thanks, Steve. All right, there he is, Dino Babers. We've got to take our final time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.